Welcome to the 47th episode of the DC Comics News Podcast, where we talk everything DC. Uh, We talk movies, we talk TV and streaming, and the core of the idea, we talk comics. Uh, With me today, my name is Brad, Um, I'll be your host, and with me today is Seth Singleton. Say hi, Seth. Hi, Seth. (laughs) And Beck. Once again, it's been a while since we heard his voice, Steve J. Ray. Say hi, Steve. I'm back, and I've missed my brother so much. We missed you, too. <laughs> we missed yeah. You too. <laughs> All right, so we can just jump right into the movie news. We got uh, news this week that Joker has become the first rated R movie to uh break a billion dollars at the box office uh, i kind of figured with the story last week where it was getting close that this week this is what we would be uh back to report uh so seth what do you think about this well i agree with you the uh the shadows were you know clearly foreshadowing the fact that there was this impending sense of something's coming and that one billion dollar mark doesn't look too stable um i think it's a huge moment i think it's one of those things that when you start to put it in context which i think the article does a a nice job of of pointing out that one this is the first r-rated film to do so it's the seventh film from warner brothers to hit that mark and the fourth dc film uh after aquaman and dark knight rises and also the dark knight that's a really great sort of category to rank it Because I think at first there's this idea of like, oh, well, that's a huge number. Yeah, it's a huge number. But let's also compare it to the other things that have also accomplished this and give it recognition for being the first to be an R-rated movie to to do so. So I I think uh, there's a lot to consider when it comes to not only the movie itself, the message and how it's been able to resonate to this degree. But also the possibility that while there's been an understanding that the juggernaut quality of certain films or franchises seems unstoppable and capable of of great heights, that the same can also now be said for films that wouldn't have been classified in that same, you know, unstoppable, always building on top of, you know, crescendo reaching category. But Joker seems to be questioning, challenging, and then surpassing expectations when it comes to what it was thought it could do and what it's clearly demonstrating it, it's only begun to show us. Um, that's my take, Mr. Stevo. What do you have? It's crazy because I remember when uh, Dark Knight and Dark Knight um, sorry, where Batman begins. Sorry, oh my God, I'm losing my brain. Where Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises broke the billion mark, and it seemed like it took weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And even when Aquaman hit it, it seemed like it took a long time. But is it me or has Joker done it really fast as well? Um, it's insane, also because, like you said, an R-rated movie, you think there'd be less of an audience, but word of mouth, artistic quality direction cinematography acting have just produced lightning in a bottle and made this film something 
that can't be categorized as a comic book movie because it, it really isn't. It's a it's it's a drama that contains some characters that have appeared in comic books. That's the only way I, I can fittingly describe it. And to see an R-rated film break the billion, and it will happen, it's definitely going to happen, is absolutely mind-blowing. And this is a film, when they first announced it, even I, the biggest Batman nerd on planet Earth, said, Joker movie? Really? And, well, um, I'm eating my words with, with, with the custard that I, we wish that DC would give us instead of concrete. So um, what can I tell you? Amazing. Brad, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, that it was so fast to reach that amount. I think that's really astounding. And, you know, the small group of films that have made a billion dollars i bet all of them cost a lot more to make than the joker did so the fact that oh that yeah profit margin is just is just in just incredible and just you know goes to show that this movie is just has really struck that cultural it really hit that cultural moment and just really captured a lot of what's on people's minds it's just it's it can't be stopped you know, for sure. And it's just, yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, I expected the movie to do well, but I don't know if I expected it to do that well. And I think as far as a rated R movie making that much money, I think that's going to be a record that's going to hold for a very long time, for sure. It's also broken the record in the UK. I don't know if you guys have read that it's now been seven weeks uh, as the number one movie in the country. Um, Not even the Star Wars movies in their heyday did that. So that, again, is incredible. I did come across that story, actually. um, And I appreciate you bringing that up because it it would have slipped past this uh, great opportunity to mention it. That 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 is something. And the context that you're providing really kind of helps out, Steve, because I wondered about that. Um, when I saw the headline, but didn't get a chance to read the article, thinking, interesting. I wonder what other films might have come close to that. And clearly, there either are very few, if any. Can you think of any, Steve, in recent memory? That, that... A couple of the Harry Potter films and the original Star Wars trilogy, the only ones that have come even close to that. And that's some pretty spectacular company for an R-rated movie um, about a criminal psychopath uh to join it's 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 absolutely mind-blowing it's like it's hit the zeitgeist it's come at the time when a specific audience of people needed this kind of film i think yeah yeah exactly exactly and in batman related news of a sort we got a new synopsis of the birds of prey movie i just kind of want to read this really quick because it's uh, it's, it's pretty interesting uh it says that the says you ever heard hear the one about the cop the songbird the psycho and the mafia princess birds of prey and the fantabulous emanci- emancipation of one harley quinn is a twisted tale told by harley herself as only harley can tell it when gotham's most nefarious narcissistic villain roman sianis and his zealous right hand Zaz put a target on a young girl named Cass. The city is turned upside down looking for her. Harley Huntress, Black Canary, and Renee Montoya's past collide. And the unlikely foursome have no choice but to team up to take Roman down. So there you have it. That is the synopsis of the Birds of Prey movie. Uh, Seth, what do you think? 
I think that's a brilliant way to frame this kind of story. Because one of the things that I love about this is that first, you know, sentence following the initial leading question. A twisted tale told by Harley herself as only Harley can tell it. I was unfortunately unable to get my wife to watch more than about the first five minutes of the big short. Maybe it was the first ten. But there's a moment when Margot Robbie comes on and starts just really taking over the narrative as the voiceover while describing this this element. And I thought to myself, wow, they need to take advantage of what she's able to do with this at some point in some other project. Because what she did in those first couple of minutes was brilliant. And her take on Harley has been so succinct that I think having her not only do the storytelling, but potentially do some of uh, voiceover of scenes gives us probably the best unreliable narrator you could ever ask for when it comes to storytelling. And not only that, but it sets up so many great times when based on her perception of the world, what she sees and what she's telling us compared to what may or may not have really been happening is going to be so much fun. It reminds me of the backlash that happened with 300. And there was a certain take that was like, well, we really, you know, feel that the portrayals of different people in the film, you know, were, were so over the top. And then another side saying, yeah, but you got to remember who it was that was telling the story. It was a soldier who was going back home to try and, you know, get everyone on board with sending enough troops to actually do something of substance. And in order to do that, yeah, the storyteller is going to want to go over the top and put in artistic flair. And yet with Harley, none of that will be necessary because so much of who she is is already imbued with all that great dramatic quality. So I really just think this is such a... a a smart way of telling the story and in the process telling it a few times so that you end up with that great clue ending where it could have been this, it could have been that, and it was probably this, but that can happen so many times throughout the movie and to the best effect. I could probably riff on this for a bit, but I know Steve and Brad can add more. Steve, what do you think, my friend? Well, the fact that a, she's such a, great actress anyway and she like you quite rightly said imbued and breathed new life into harley um i'm very excited and i love the whole idea of her narrating the film i mean it could take us back to the black and white detective stories the pulp stories of 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 the golden age of cinema it can take us back to uh, the original version of blade runner with harrison ford narrating as rick deckard and her doing it as Harley, we can actually, again, like you mentioned, I'm really looking forward to seeing something happening on screen and her telling the story, like saying, well, what actually happened was, and it being totally contrasting and contradicting, because the unreliable narrator is, is one of the greatest uh, storytelling tools there is. So, yeah, that's a great synopsis, a lovely way of seeing the film and a lovely way of making the movie. So I'm very excited by that. What do you make of it, Brad? Yeah, I love that she's going to be narrating the story because I do like Seth, you know, Seth, you said that she's the best unreliable narrator ever. And I think that's, that could be so much fun and so much more, more spice they can add to the story, having it come from kind of her point of view. Uh, they could, it could mess around with the narrative in very fun Tarantino-esque ways, you know, in timelines and things like that. And 
uh, and just using her voiceover for certain things. I just think that's going to be so much fun. And I hope they really do take advantage of that in the storytelling. And I think uh, I think they will. I think that's a, a, a great choice. And I don't know if it was common knowledge, but it wasn't to me that that Zaz uh, is going to be in it. So I really dig that, too. So that was kind of news to me, at least. So I thought that was kind of uh, it was kind of cool. So, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, the weird Perfect thing is, like, yeah, I felt like there was like a tease for that somewhere in one of the posters or something else where someone was pointing out some reference to Zaz or, or somewhere I saw some comment where I was like, really, how'd you read it that way? I didn't pick that up at all. And now seeing that he's in it, it, it brings it back where I'm like, where did I see someone referencing that some hint was supposed to point to uh, him also being in it? And then until now, that was the only other time I'd heard even a comment or a mention of it um and i was just gonna actually add on to brad because you mentioned something great that i loved which was um how they're going to contradict the narration can you imagine how each different time it's going to be you know it could be um well huntress it, it could be uh it could be anyone i mean it could be zaz going wait a minute that's not how it happened at all this is how it happened and instead that's you get what to i want to see yeah, you know, and through that, we'll get to see these two characters, you know, basically arguing over how things happened and what they saw and didn't see. And for <laughs> a character like Harley, where that argument, you know, can become as nonsensical as possible with just the twist of one sentence or phrase. Uh, yeah, some some really great loaded potential in there. I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah, me too, for sure. And in other, yet again, some more Batman-related news, this time on Matt Reeves, the Batman. Uh, we found out this week that uh, Matt Reeves has confirmed that Andy Serkis is going to be offered in uh, in the Batman. Uh, Seth, what do you think about this story? Well, it's nice to get a little confirmation. You know, I think the hardest thing about our last conversation, um, you know, and Kelly did a great job of bringing this up, was the fact that this was still one of those speculation stories at the time we were talking about it. Now we're past the speculation and we can go ahead and start um, picturing and envisioning what this portrayal can look like, how it can take the best qualities of Andy Serkis and blend them with one of... uh, one of the best characters I love to read about, which is uh, and watch, which is Alfred, and how many different portrayals we've had the chance to see of that so far. Um, it'll be really interesting as well because for those who've been watching Pennyworth, th- there's a current version fresh in the minds that could be ample uh, material, which, if referenced correctly, would do a great job of bringing in anyone who hasn't been watching the series, but just giving a tip of the hat a nod and a wink to those who have been keeping up with the more current versions and and wouldn't mind just seeing a a little bit of hey we know you're out there and this is just a little something for you so um i'm really intrigued as i'd mentioned you know previously i i've really been a fan of what andy circus is capable of since uh his time as Gollum. And, um, you know, it was it was Kelly who brought to light for me, you know, that great remembrance of, of him as Claw. And I'm, I'm really just intrigued to see him uh, step into the role of Alfred and I think do that one thing that I love the most about him, which is to flesh out a character with this very physical reality 
that becomes as much uh, part of his acting as I think you might find with the most committed method actors. And that's because I don't know actually if he's a method actor in any way or not. But <laughs> Steve-O, what did you think, my friend? Is Steve excited? Yes, he is precious. He's very excited. Yes, he is. Uh, listen, um, Seth, get your dancing shoes. You and I are going to do the Mad Dad dance all around the living room because Andy Serkis is going to appear on screen. We're going to see his real face. He's not going to be a motion capture ape or a motion capture golem or a motion capture anything. He's going to be on screen acting. And like you said, he did a great job as Claw. They killed him off far too soon. He's one of Black Panther's greatest nemesis. Marvel, what are you thinking about? But hey, you messed up. Let Matt Reeves do it, right? (laughs) Let's give Andy Serkis... 18 films as Alfred and I will dance my way through the floor and all the way to the moon. I will take the ring to Mordor just to see Andy Serkis as Alfred. Yes, indeed. Um, Yeah, I'm happy about that. What about you, Brad? Yeah, I am too, man. So far, this casting in this movie has been impeccable. Um, I I think that Andy Serkis is going to make a very good act. Good, Alfred. And uh, like I, I mentioned last week, uh, it, it, we're definitely going to get a badass Alfred in Andy Circus. I think. I mean, if you've seen his performance at Claw, as Claw, he can he, he can oh, definitely, yeah. you know, definitely play in, in action roles, you know, so he's not he's not a wallflower. So I think that, uh, yeah, I think that I think it's a genius, genius casting move. Uh, absolutely, for sure. And more Batman casting news. We learned that uh, Jamie Lawson has also been cast in the Batman, but we don't exactly know what role yet. Uh, Seth, what do you think about this? I'm intrigued. I'm I'm a little bit surprised about the idea of of someone being cast yet without clarifying what what role they're going to be taking on. Um, but Whenever that happens, I feel like there's I'm not sure what the intention is, but I feel that clearly there's a, a, a misdirection <laughs> of kinds going on. And that because of that, that there's this. This understanding that. Well, there's this understanding that for whatever reason, uh, this information is going to be held close to the chest like uh any smart poker player might. And with that in mind, there is going to be a, for whatever reason, a decision to not reveal whatever that role is until the very last moments. Um, I was a big fan of uh, the film Interstellar, and I was intrigued when it wasn't shown until some time into the film that a well-known actor actually makes an appearance and then later doing some research found out that as part of the press tour that actor actually wasn't involved so that the reveal of who they were and what their character was doing in that project could be more of a surprise for the audience and add to the experience instead of making it seem like something that well they're in there but we're not going to tell you you know in what way they're appearing and in this way, we know the name, and yet we we don't really understand the context. So I, I'm intrigued more than anything by that decision. I would have almost anticipated not 
revealing it until the film was close to release or release and then say, hey, so this is why we didn't reveal it. And this is how we we chose to reveal it to the audiences. But that was my interpretation. Steve, I'm always curious about yours and Brad's. What's your take, my friend? You said it. She's playing a character called Miss Direction. Hmm. No, um, she's definitely. I'm definitely... brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just need help. <laughs> Um, we both do. We're still tipping. <laughs> I'm just wrong. I, I'm like breaking gas in an elevator. Wrong on so many levels. Um, no, she's um, this whole Bella thing. I think is complete misdirection. Um, Bella Barbarella Barbara Gordon, um, Jeffrey Wright. I, I, I just think they're pulling the wool over our eyes the whole way they did in the last two Spider-Man movies with Zendaya actually being MJ. Mm-hmm. Bella, I don't think so. I think we've met our Batgirl. But that's just my take. Brad, what do you think? Man, I almost don't have to say anything else because you nailed what I was going to say. I think that that's I think that that's what I'm leaning towards, too. I think that uh, she's definitely going to be uh, our Batgirl for sure. Uh, I think nice. definitely pointing in that direction, at least at least for the moment, because I think that maybe that would kind of, you know be a character that they're trying to kind of keep under wraps. So. You know, and she may not even have that big of a role. It may be something that they're setting up for a larger role in potential sequels and things like that. So, yeah, but I, I, I agree with you 100 percent, Steve. I think that's that's who she's going to turn out to be, at least at this point, until we learn more. That's what I would say for sure. Great minds think alike. <laughs> and so do yours, mine and Brad's, indeed. <laughs> and Stepping away from Batman and moving on to Black Adam, The Rock has revealed concept art and a release date for Black Adam. And it looks like we will be seeing Black Adam debut December 22nd, 2021. Uh, Steve, I mean, Seth, what do you think about this? Well, I love the art. I mean... As we're talking right now, I decided to just cue it up and give it another, you know, glance and zoom up. And it's gorgeous. It's a great take on Black Adam. Um, I think the timing for the release seems very strategic. Clearly, there's um, some planning going on. And hopefully, we'll get a chance to see some other sort of build into this in some way. I don't know how marketing people are brilliant. They, They always... When they do it right, find a way to, to just make it fit so well. But overall, the thing that really stuck for me was this image. If I am in any future, and I intend to, and I anticipate I will be, discussions about Black Adam, this is the image that's going to be in my mind when I'm talking about it. Until something else comes out, I'm going to picture it. And if you haven't had a chance to, I would say just type in you know, um, Black Adam, type in The Rock's Instagram, whatever. It, that's all I had to do was click on this link and this really gorgeous image. And it's it's really set up nicely with this, you know, storm clouds in the background. The lightning around him has a ferocity to it that's different from what you picked up in Shazam. There's a sort of menacing feeling of storm clouds off to one side, 
ruins and relics to the other and then beneath him just for that sort of you know um atmosphere you've got this skeleton just sort of resting there right near his left foot it's a great setup and to add to it there's this battle-torn war-torn feel to him a little bit of spiky edge to the uniform and the ragged nature of his cape there there's a lot to take away from this you add the date to it and it's a pretty compelling package steve what's your take my friend as soon as you get an image that's created by a comics legend like jim lee and then embellished colored and brought to life by internet sensation boss logic you know that the final result is going to be mind-blowing and like i said every bit of description you just gave is exactly what stood out to me i look at this picture and i think that could be amongst the best black adam images i've seen since alex ross i mean it's the character he's powerful but yes there's a darkness there's a ragged edge to him there's a there's a force of nature willing to be unleashed upon the world and that's how i've always seen this character not necessarily a villain Yes, he's an antagonist, but um, it's it's that famous phrase that keeps coming back. Every villain is the hero of his own story. And to the people of his country, he is a hero. He is a savior. And this image is just gorgeous. And it just whets the appetite even more for a film that we've been waiting 10 plus years for. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What did you think, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely got an, uh, the Alex Ross vibe from it, too. So I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking like, yeah, it, it definitely had that kind of feel uh, or at least kind of inspired by his work. Um, yeah, man. And I I love how much The Rock is into this role and how he is so behind this film. I think that that that, that enthusiasm uh, and true love of the character is going to make for a very good movie. And if it's half as good as this image, it's going to be uh, pretty amazing for sure. So yeah, I, so far so good. But I'm looking forward to talking on the podcast as more news comes out about it. Kind of the way we're talking about the Batman casting and you know, Suicide Squad 2, we've had a lot of stories about that. So I'm looking forward to the news from this film starting to trickle out as we get closer to it, for sure. Not to uh, take us too far off track, but just to sort of, you know, raise some, you know, fodder for a future conversation. Did either of you get a chance to read the the Year of the Villain one-shot? The Black Adam Year of the Villain? I have So not. good. Oh, Brad, you have to. It's yeah. so good. I highly recommend. I really think, um, I like, I've heard some references recently for Rise of the Skywalker that um, a lot of the uh, emphasis for the film can be found in the recent Kylo Ren comic book that came out. And I felt when I read You're the Villain that I was reading the sort of initial premise or treatment that could be used for an upcoming Black Adam film. The idea that they really present about where the strength for Black Adam comes from, the idea of the country, the people, and their concept of faith... And the way he delves into uh, you know, the gods that make up who he is, it was uh, highly recommended just for those elements alone. I really thought to myself, like, man, if you're planting seeds, these are some great things that could 
if you know flowered in the movie be some really gorgeous moments um steve i was curious what your take was yeah exactly the same that whole power of belief thing i mean think about uncle sam but um without any like uh, freedom fighters yeah freedom fighters uncle sam his power he's powered by the belief of the american people Mm -hmm. um twist that on its head and it's the belief in the ancient gods uh the, the gods that give him his powers the same way that solomon hercules achilles zeus um apollo and mercury give to to captain marvel sorry shazam um, <laughs> and think about all that that entails um being a fan of of neil gaiman's uh endless and sandman brad Obviously, the endless uh, are before gods and after gods. They don't need the belief of anyone because they were there at the beginnings of life and they will be there until every life is gone. But gods are powered by belief. So think of all that entails, put Black Adam in the mix and the amount of stories uh, and the potential for an incredible movie just gets multiplied tenfold and that's a book it's a one shot you can read it in 20 minutes pick it up i mean actually i've said that of most of the uh one shots with the villains of the year and year of the villain titans actually they've all been really really good this is really true i've really been impressed by them um but also i'd add into the mix too there's the faith of the people this idea of conduct and what it means and who it is and the kind of faith they have in Black Adam also feels like it's part of this great triangle of faith that they've got between yeah, the he's heroes, like god the gods. Yeah, and then, but, you know, so he's like a god to them, but his his powers come from these ancient gods that preceded him, and it's a really interesting dynamic between those three. I, I, I think they could really, they touch on it correctly in the movie, we're, guys, we're in for a real treat. Like Shazam did a great yeah. job of pulling at my heartstrings. This one has the ability to start pulling at those those strings of faith that you know those ideas of belief and possibility. Like you can really, you can really have some shining moments in this. Um, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Potentially really powerful stuff. Agreed, yeah. agreed, agreed. Yeah. yeah, Brad, when you read it, we'll we'll be here to talk with you afterwards. Yeah, I mean, you guys always turn me on to some good stuff, so I'm gonna have to go and pick that that uh, that issue up for sure. Definitely. And uh, moving on to our last bit of movie news, uh, uh, Patrick uh, Wilson has said that Aquaman 2 is pushing it even further, uh, whatever that can possibly mean. Uh, Seth, what do you think about this? I get a kick out of this, man. Like, all I can tell you is that his concepts for Aquaman 2 are pushing it even further. And then the idea of, you know, well, I just throw a little dart here and then say, so what do you think about this? And <laughs> I don't know. I got a kick out of that being, like, for the most part, the basis of this story. Um, but there's a lot of fun there, too. There's a lot of, well, what can we do and what can't we do? I'm reminded of, um, I think it was after, like, maybe um one of the the marvel films and i can't remember if it was an avengers film or if it was a separate captain america but you know they're they're talking with uh with chris the actor and he's apparently at some point started really getting at the directors like hey do you know what we're capable of doing with this character and me physically what i'm willing to attempt and accomplish to get certain things done or or bring to light some of these great you know moments 
And I feel like that's what I'm hearing for this Aquaman too, because so much of what I heard in this reminds me exactly what I was hearing in a story we were covering about Momoa talking about pushing things bigger. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, it was Kelly who was kind of like, bigger, bigger, it's all going to be bigger. <laughs> bigger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and And I get that kind of vibe from this because it, it feels almost like, not only the actors, but everyone involved is sort of like, so I've been reading some books lately. Do you know about these comics that this is based on? They do some stuff in here, man. They do. You know what I mean? Like you, you can almost feel like they're, they're catching the frenzy or the fever. And because of that, they're they're taking in those. I don't know. There was just a lot of fun for me because I found myself going, doesn't this sound like what Momo was saying? And in a lot of ways, it, it's just this idea of they know that the possibility is still there. Nothing's been sort of laid down in concrete and made to sit. And this is the fit, the formula or the plan. And this is how we're going to do it. And while it's still possible, everyone's sort of like, how far can we stretch this? So, you know, just how far? And that that's a really fun thing to hear. And it sounds like with that, we could get some really great takes because it sounds like with all these different perspectives, everyone wants certain things that they feel will add to the value of the movie. And I, I really think there's a collaborative process that can bring out the best of that. So I, I've got a lot of positive responses to this idea. Um, and I, I, I love hearing it from another actor. Bigger. Steve, what's your take, my friend? Bless Kelly. Honestly, bigger, bigger. <laughs> um, literally, it's it's Momoa and his evil brother are on the same page. They want it bigger and they want to push it further. Uh, that's all I'm going to say <laughs> on the matter. Like Stan Lee said, enough said, Brad. You know, it's, it's amazing to me because I thought that the first one was so big and so over the top and so much spectacle. And that was what made it such a fun, great movie. And the fact that more and more people are coming out and say it's going to be bigger. I can't wait to see just exactly how do bigger because that is some pretty high stakes <laughs> right there. I mean, and. You gotta, you say something like that. You gotta, you gotta deliver. So, <laughs> come on, James Wan. You know, let's uh, impress us, man. Show us what you got. Um, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be huge. Big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somewhere right now, someone's playing, you know, a little Nirvana. Just like here we are now. Entertain us. Come on, yeah. come on. You set the stage. Yeah. Are you not entertained? Exactly. See? <laughs> <Exactly>. See? <laughs> okay. All right. And that wraps up our movie news. So it's time to pay some bills and uh, hear a word from our sponsors. So uh, stick around and we'll be right back. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now... The third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, 
I am the night. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And welcome back to the DC Comics News uh, Podcast. I'm Brad, and I'm still here with Seth and Steve talking everything DC. And we're moving on to the uh, TV and streaming news. Uh, first up is that Titans Season 3, or C- Titans has been renewed, excuse me, for a Season 3 on DC Universe. So that seems to be some good news. Seth, what do you think? I think it's great news. I love the confidence. I love the recognition that this is a property that's only growing with popularity. I, I've i loved what they've been doing with the second season. I just caught up yesterday and just had a big smile on my face because I was seeing different pieces of... It's like when you know that someone's put together that great collection of ingredients and you know the recipe... But when you see the quality of ingredients, there's part of you like, oh, that's going to be really good. (laughs) And I've got that feeling from this season. And that sort of confidence is something I know I've felt. But seeing that recognition from DC Universe that, yeah, we feel good about this. We are making plans for season three. And I'm hoping that this also puts to bed some of the concerns that just I feel like there's this low level hum of chatter about what's happening with DC Universe. Is it really going to stick around? What's with this HBO Max thing? And, you know, is it going to be sort of the death knell for DC Universe? And I think stories like this point to the fact that, you know, the guys who've been making a lot of money off of our desire to see streaming stuff are not, you know, completely out of the loop. Clearly, if they're making this much money, they do have some things figured out. And they're going to find a way to make best of both worlds available to those of us who are supporting these great projects. So uh, I think this this is one of those announcements that does more than one thing, but each thing that it does do, it gives that affirmation, that sense of, you know what? I got confident footsteps. I've got a path in front of me and I can see where it's leading. And that's a really great feeling from this announcement from me. Uh, Steve, what was your take, my friend? To all the fine internet folk who were saying before season one even aired that it was going to fail miserably, it looked cheap, it looked sucky, and to all the people that said um, DC Universe is going to fail, it's not going to run, it's not going to last any much longer, news like this is a big fat Nina, 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 you don't know anything. <laughs> so take that season three of Titans on DC Universe, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, Season two has been great. I didn't think it could be much better than season one, and it has been. And the only thing I've got left to say is, listen, uh, season three just needs to be bigger. Brad, what do you think? 
Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that they made a point to say it's coming to DC Universe because, you know, I, I want to see DC Universe survive as a streaming service. I don't want to necessarily see it get sucked into, uh, you know, the, the HBO Max thing. So I love that. And I think, you know, Steve, you're talking about those people that kind of thought that it wasn't going to be good. And I think for mm-hmm. the most part, I think everybody was kind of impressed with how good the show turned out to be. So, and I, and I think that that's continued with the second season. So it, it um, it's good to see that it, that it still has legs and, and, and Seth, like you said, that they still believe in it. And yeah, I think it's good all around for sure. It still has legs in really nice jeans, I think. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to point out that, you know, one thing I have noticed throughout this season is the jeans and the quality and the way they're worn with confidence, with style and just a touch of comfort. <laughs> it's all in the jeans. Exactly. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> you created a monster, Brad. You created a monster. Deal with it. I did, but it's I like your it. fault. Yep, you started a fire, man. Take, you gotta let it burn now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, Sting, uh, moving away from the jeans news, but still sticking with the Teen Titans. Uh, we learned that the Teen Titans animated series is getting the complete series released onto Blu-ray. Seth, what do you think about this? I think it's such a smart idea. You know, there's one thing that you have to keep in mind, which is that the Titans we were just talking about is not a Titans geared for younger audiences. In many ways, it's geared for younger audiences um, who have experienced it when they're young and once they've reached the mature and appropriate age can enjoy it at that age and understand the more adult themes that are um, occurring within it and have it be something that's added to the story instead of something that detracts from it giving someone who's younger who doesn't have the awareness to dive into titans right now nor the the appropriate age or maturity this is a great source for them to get as much as they can for that sort of background wealth that's possible through something like this, where you've got this complete collection, you can have all of the fun that comes with it. And then with that sort of great basis, you've created and you know fueled that interest so that when they're older, the opportunity to dive into something like Titans is just the next step of that evolution of, of growing with the characters and getting a chance to see them at one point in time in your life. And now at a different point in time when you can understand deeper themes and understand some of the bigger challenges that come with growing up and getting older. But until you have to do that, why not have all the fun possible? And this collection, I mean, 65 episodes in five seasons it seems really smart because you you can only imagine how many potential viewers are saying, I would love to watch Titans. And you've got responsible parents saying, you know, you're not there yet. You're still a bit too young for this. What a great way to instead say, hey, but while you're waiting, 65 episodes, man, like dive in, get caught up, 
you know, get all of the information that you can have for, you know, a bit of context. And then when you're older, well, you'll be ready and you'll have this huge wealth to draw upon. So that, that was something I really got a kick out of. You know, there's going to be younger audiences that might want to might want to participate. They can't in this current content, but they do have an opportunity now through this great collection. Steve, what you take, my friend? When there's trouble, you know who to call. King Titans! That track, that theme tune, that whole series, brilliant. Uh, and I love what you said, actually, Seth. The whole legacy of Titans. Um, for those who grew up with the comic books in the 90s, Titans is our show. But with the success of Teen Titans Go to the movies and the young audiences who watch Teen Titans Go, this is the next step in the evolution to watch Teen Titans now, which has got plenty of really grown up themes and the story of Tara Markov and Red X and that relationship um, of, of, of hatred yet respect between Tim Drake and, and Ron Perlman's incredible Slade Wilson. It's honestly after Batman, the animated series, this Teen Titans animated show is one of my absolute favorites so the fact that the whole shebang all 65 episodes are coming out on blu-ray that i can go and get my sweaty little paws on them and play them whenever the hell i like makes me very very happy indeed and it's the perfect stepping stone between teen titans go and titans on dc universe fantastic marketing brilliant strategy dc i salute you on this one brilliant job what did you think brad yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think that some of the people that love the show are now getting old enough that they kind of would like to have this in their collection. And I like that the Trouble in Tokyo feature film is going to be included, as well as yeah, the lost episode, bonus episode seems really cool too. So I think that I think that this is going to be a pretty big bang for your buck. I think it's a pretty good value. So I think that yeah. I think this is going to be pretty popular with fans, uh, for sure. For sure. And we finally get a little bit of a teaser for Crisis on Infinite Earths, the uh, CW crossover that's coming in December and January. Seth, what do you think? Great way to build our excitement and interest and just... Fan the flames just a little bit more. I was recently watching um, the newest episode of Batwoman and got a chance to see the teaser commercial for Crisis on Infinite Earths. With that already sort of just moment little glimpse to then have these pictures follow it, uh, another, whoever, trust me, is involved with the marketing, I'm going to give another tip of the hat as Steve just did for the uh, the story we were just talking about in regards to this, because I felt like, wow, right after I see this great teaser on television, now I get a chance to see some great images that show me where the interactions are, which characters we get a chance to see. I mean, uh, I love seeing uh, Ray Palmer in his Adam suit. Um, I loved suddenly seeing Batwoman. I, I, I'm not sure if it was in the DEO from the shot now. I, I'm trying to do recall instead of just go back to the pictures and click through. I was thinking more about my initial impressions. Overall, I just had this great sense of, hey, there's Arrow and the team and who else do we have there? And, and just sort of getting this feeling of like, I, I know that 
I, as a fan, am already putting the story together in my head. And this picture, this set of pictures did a great job of letting me start doing that so that my interest level and what the story will be are already building and will be heightened so that when it does get here, there's going to be a part of me. It's like, so how close am I? What's the story really like? And along the way, the additional sort of teasers, trailers and lead ins that we're going to be getting are only going to add to that. So I, I thought this was a really great set of photos that showed some really fun stuff. But my eyes caught that. I know Eagle Eye Steve always picks up something I miss. What was your take, my friend? Oh, fantastic set of pictures. Brilliant little video teaser. I mean, the excitement levels for this crossover are off the chain. It, it's it's massive. It's absolutely massive. But, and this is a big but, this is a titanic but, um, fans in the UK have been royally screwed. Ah. Remember how we were talking recently how uh, launch of DC Universe might have been delayed in the UK because of uh, this TV giant Sky owning all the rights? Sky did not get the rights to Batwoman in the UK, but they have got Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow. So that means we're going to get the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover minus Chapter 2, Batwoman. I'm only fortunate enough to catch Batwoman here because I review it for Dark Knight News and thanks to uh, Warner Brothers and some very concerned friends uh, and and gentlemen who can get the show to me. But fans in the UK who don't want to get their episodes through, as we've quite often stated, nefarious means are going to get four-fifths of this crossover. So, um... That's highly frustrating. That sounds like um, a huge oversight. Dude, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it's because um, the powers that be are a little bit sick of Sky's Monopoly, but they're not thinking about the fans in doing this. So whoever does get Batwoman, um, they better get their skates on because we're five or six episodes in. The crossover is in three weeks-ish, four weeks, and um, no UK network has aired the first four or five episodes of Batwoman yet. So um, people, we understand that you want some healthy competition. We understand that you don't want one network to have all these shows, but think about the people who are watching these shows and indirectly through advertising, whatever else paying your salaries, because this hurts. Um, Again, I'm one of the lucky ones, but millions of viewers in the UK aren't in that position. So uh yeah, for once you've got a little bit of angry, Steve. And before I turn green and split what's left of my clothes, I'll pass the mic over to Brad. <laughs> I I was excited to see Black Lightning in uh, in the preview, so I thought that was uh, that was kind of cool. Um, but I, I I am I'm excited uh, heading into the end of the year and into the holidays. I think the two things I'm looking forward to the most entertainment-wise are The Rise of Skywalker and this Crisis on Infinders crossover. So I'm any you know any footage I'm I'm very happy to see. I'm I'm still as excited as I as I have been about it. So yeah, absolutely for sure I can't wait. And this teaser just just whets my appetite even more. And we also, we got to see some Crisis on Infinite Earths photos 
from uh, Supergirl, the Supergirl episode. Uh, Seth, what do you think about these photos? Just a really great, you know, set of teasing it up for us, that, that feeling of, well, really, just how much more, you know, we've got coming towards us, how much more we can get excited about all of these things that are kind of coming down the pipeline. I, I feel like at some point I start mixing up the photos and I'm like, okay, wait, what? Okay, wait, wait, who's got, and then for, for my head, I start also trying to match those up with moments from the, you know, the 12 issue maxi and <laughs> it gets really adorable. I'm really kind of cute when I do stuff like this. So yeah, a lot of fun for me, Steve. How about you, my friend? When I see a picture of Superman standing next to the Flash, I get happy. When I see a picture of Bitsy Tullock's Lois Slane and Tyler Hecklin Superman holding a newborn baby John Kent in their arms, I get happy. And then when I see Lila, John Diggle's wife, in full-on Harbinger costume, I go, OMG, WTF, what the heck am I looking at? And I get more excited for Crisis on Infinite Earth than I do for Turkey with all the trimmings. These pics are awesome. I cannot wait. Brad, what about you? Yeah, I love the Harbinger photos as as well. And uh, yeah, and the, the newborn. And it looks like a lot. We're going to get a lot of Batwoman in this episode and a lot of Superman, uh, which is great to see. So, yeah, man, I'm just more and more excited as, as we get closer, uh, closer to it. So, yeah, yeah, bring it on. Uh, I can't wait to see, you know, see what we have in store. And I'm kind of glad that none of these pictures or the videos that we've seen have given away some of those cameos that we're hearing about like tom welling and uh burt ward and things like that so i'm kind of glad that that's still kind of kept under wraps uh for sure but yeah this is, looks like it's going to be really good and continuing on with cw news we learned that the flash has cast sue dibney sort of so what do you think about this well, I was really excited about the idea of, you know, Sue Dearborn. The sort of part leaves me wondering just what that's going to mean. Um, <laughs> I I loved Ralph and Sue. My my favorite comic experiences that just were heartwarming for me were those great Justice League quarterlies where they would have her creating the. Yay! Right. The birthday, the birthday mystery. And yes, it was a so great good. element that they they had there where every year on his birthday, quote unquote, Sue would plan this massive mystery and Ralph would have to figure it out. And it would have these wonderfully over the top things. And then the best part would be they'd start playing with the motif and it would be things like, wait, but Ralph, it's not your birthday. Yes, but it's so many days until my birthday and that many days equals this. And she knows I'd figure that out. And it just there was so much in the heartwarming category when it came to these two that I just want to see it done right. I feel that, you know, there's there's been this sort of confusion a little bit, you know, the muddying of the waters with the idea of Sue and and 
well, which version of Sue from which Earth and, and how is this going to play out? But I, I really do love the idea of, of getting a chance to see this relationship brought to life on screen. One of those just pure gems from comics that when put on screen correctly could be really just a, a beautiful element that would not only add to the Flash, but potentially create a, a great spinoff at some point. I feel that if they they cast the right chemistry, um, you, you really have a great chance to to do something amazing that in comics just seemed like it was magic. And if you can put that magic on the screen, well, I mean, come on now. What? What? Why pass that up? <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to, to see her appearance, however it it ends up playing out um, and, and what that relationship is going to look like, because this has been a slightly different Ralph in some takes. But overall, I feel like the heart of Mr. Dibney is the one I remember from the comics. And I want to see this relationship with Sue. I, I want to see those great things that that made their moments seem timeless on the page. Um, Steve, Steve, what's your take, my friend? Exactly what you said. Ralph and Sue Dibney. Yeah, I know they're comics book characters, but they are the married couple I aspire to. Um, they were just perfect because there was banter, there was laughs, they had digs at each other, but there was so much love there. They were the most real um, wedded couple I've ever seen. And the tragic, tragic, horrific events of identity crisis and everything that went with it just seriously broke my heart. It, it, it was it was incredibly um, amazing, thrilling and heartbreaking all at the same time. Uh, and the reveal of who her killer was was even more so. So to see the potential of having Sue Dibney with Ralph on screen. And I hope they have many, many, many happy years together and they don't go down the identity crisis route for at least 15 seasons. Uh, oh, it's got me excited. Great casting, very talented young actress. Um, I've seen her in a couple of shows before. Um, but yeah, like you said, what is this sort of about? What, what does that actually mean? Is it a parallel doppelganger and then he meets the real thing? Or are we just being led down the garden path with another little red herring. Either way, Ralph and Sue forever. Love those guys. Those mysteries, his birthday um, puzzles were, were just some of the best, most fun comics ever. If they go down that route on the TV show, oh, really, really happy. Brad, what do you make of it, mate? Yeah, I think I'm glad you brought up Identity Crisis because I think that that's one of the things that made that story so impactful is the fact that powerful yeah is that sue and ralph are just that that couple that dc fans always loved and thought was real and they always rooted for and and i think in in, in the flash i think that ralph is a character that people kind of feel that same way so i think it's going to be really really fun to watch their relationship kind of evolve over the course of the season and and hopefully hopefully next and i agree that I, I i hope that they don't do the the identity crisis thing uh hopefully not at all um but i i think i do think that it's going to be a relationship that 
that fans of the show are going to like is as much as fans who read the comics like that relationship as well. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm rooting for him for sure. And we also learned that that the Arrow series finale has gotten an air date. So we know when that is going to air. Seth, what do you think about this? Well, for the most part, um, the date for me isn't going to feel as impactful as the story that leads up to it. Because we've known that Arrow is coming to an end. This just tells us that it will end on January 28th and that this will be the series finale. It it feels like that's going to be one of those... Um, after notes one of those things that sure it aired on this date but the story that led up to that date and the story that was told on that date will be the things that will be with us long after that date is faded from memory it becomes just a a bit of a factoid um i really feel like this sort of just gave a, a concrete uh, statement regarding finality you know yes the series is coming to an end this is the date that it's going to happen. It's fairly factual, but it, it does sort of give you that feeling of a countdown if if there's any feeling to really get from it. For me, more than anything, though, it tells me that knowing that and knowing where we are now, how many days, weeks, episodes are leading up to that and the story that's remained to be told. And that was really, I think, my... My my sort of take, just uh, as far as context, Steve, how about you? It's um, like you said, we we knew it was coming, but to see that date in print and that's it, series finale, um, it, it it kind of brings it home. And I know a lot of people are going to be very very upset, uh, including uh, Damien Fashani, who owns the the, the two websites that we contribute to and uh, a lot of fans worldwide. And it's, it's quite a poetic irony as well, that shortly after the new year begins, uh, a story told over close to a decade ends. And yeah, it's, um, it's quite sad in a way. Um, Many happy memories of this show, Uh, everything that's come out of it since, um, who would ever thought that a Green Arrow TV series would ever last two seasons, let alone eight years, and have Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and Black Lightning and Supergirl spin out of it. So um, I'm going to miss it. I'm really going to miss it. And uh, seeing the tweets coming from Stephen Amell that he's wrapped his final episodes with so many actors and he's actually filmed his final scene now and... uh, yeah, we knew it was coming, but it's still, still quite, uh, quite a sad thing to to see it all end. And um, at least it's going out with a bang. That crisis on infinite earths, it's going to go out on a high. Brad, what did you think? Yeah, it's a show that started at all, uh, Steve. I think you're absolutely right that when this show started, I don't think anybody could have guessed that it was going to spawn so much stuff. It's it's it really did start everything with the cw shows we wouldn't have the flash show the supergirl show any of that 
if we didn't first have Arrow. And the cast seem like such a family. They, they seem to really get along, and that always tends to shine in a show. And in Arrow, it really did. So it's it's going to be sad to see it go. It's going to be sad that they're not going to be able to work together, uh, you know, in the same way that they have been for these past, you know, eight years. So it is going to be sad to go. But I think that uh, it is going to go out definitely on a high note. And when you do a show, what more can you ask for? Eight seasons is a lot. And to go out on your own terms, uh, it's 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 a great thing. So I think it's gonna it's gonna have a great legacy, and I think people are going to rewatch it and discover it again years years down the road, for sure. Hey, one of the thoughts that I just realized, and and I was curious, maybe you you guys can help me out because I'm just doing this on the fly and I'm not referencing anything, so I could just be um, completely clueless, but. I feel that there was a pitch recently mentioned about a, a potential spinoff. I want to say it was like a Birds of Prey TV show. Am I just Green totally Arrow and the Birds of Prey? Um, yes, uh, Oliver's daughter and uh, the Birds of Prey, the Black Canaries. Yes, that looks yeah. like it's a thing that's going to be happening, and that was pitched by Katie Cassidy. Um, I I think it's in the works. I may be yeah. wrong, but I do think it's actually happening. You know, if there's one thing I can I can add to how I'll be looking at this upcoming date, it'll be that possibility of just a glimmer of a hint of a setup that could be used or that this episode could introduce that would then provide um, a sense of what that series could end up looking like. Because it, is everyone caught up on Arrow? I'm not trying to give any spoilers. I I am not. Okay, then I'm only going to say that there's a no. recent plot development which makes the possibility of all of these characters working this out, like coming up with this idea, and, and because of how events are unfolding right now, I, I really feel like we could start seeing the seeds of that being put into to place or the, the, the outline maybe. And maybe that would be a great way to have that season, that series finale, that, that final episode to let us know that, sure, this is an ending. But like every great endings, it's really just a beginning. And what that could mean for, you know, some of these favored characters who... Because of what they meant to fans and to the story, you know, Katie Cassidy coming back on after the departure of one version of her performance and coming back on to take on a completely different take on on the character that she defined. We could see a lot of other great things spin out of that finale. And, you know, remember, we're talking about DC, which right now is framing so much of itself on this idea of rebirth. That that seems like a, a great a great place where that could happen. So that that was something I just uh, because of what you guys were saying made me think. You know, there there is a lot of sadness, but I feel like there's been some some hints that there's you know it's always a little darkest right before the dawn. There's always a little bit of you know shadow and sadness, and then hey man, it's got to get brighter again at some point. So uh, you know, I wondered about that, Steve. Thanks for confirming for me. I I think that's probably that other thing I'll be looking at. You know. Come January 28th, the ending of, yeah. of Arrow. But we might also just get the chance to see the beginning of something else, something we 
never imagine. And man, come on, DC. You know, that's a blessing. If you can do that, I'll really be pleased with you. Really. Yeah. Thanks for thanks. Seeds for have definitely been sown. Without a doubt, seeds have definitely been sown. And remember, the original Crisis on Infinite Earths comic book series, where past, present, and future collided. And like you said, if you haven't caught up with Arrow, uh, things are already in place. So I honestly see that as a great possibility. And um, hey, remember, DC is the comics book company when it comes to heroic legacies and mantles being passed down. So, um, oh yeah, the future's definitely bright. And with that, we're going to take another break to pay some bills. And when we come back, we'll be talking some comic book news. So stick around, and we'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And we are back. Uh, I'm Brad, and I'm here with Seth and Steve. And now we're going to move on to the comic book news. And first up, we have news that some Batman writers are coming together for an Alfred uh, Rest in Peace issue. Seth, what do you think of this? I think it's a really beautiful concept that i can't wait to get my own little grubby paws on i know that i'm not the only one here with grubby paws eager to get them into this book but 48 pages prestige format i have to smile at just the 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 concept in my mind of it but also the opportunity to tell so many great stories about a great character and there's a part of me that's still waiting for the other shoe to drop when it comes to the events that have led up to this uh, one shot. But I think celebrating the life of Alfred is a great opportunity to tell as many stories as possible, to show so many different sides that maybe didn't have the opportunity to shine during uh, a regular 
series or story arc or run. But also, I feel like this is a recognition of the power of Alfred to be a great ongoing series. Pennyworth has shown uh, his value and the interest that that fans are placing, the recent casting of Andy Serkis, the fan response to the events of Batman 77, all show me that Alfred is a character we would love to see and read more about. And this is just a, I'm hoping, uh, a trickle of the potential Alfred stories we might get to see in the future. I know that as soon as I saw this, I was like, I am hopping online when we're done grabbing my local comic shop's online submission form and making a note to them that when this comes out, please add this to my list. And I'm going to be so happy when that happens because I'm really looking forward to reading, you know, some great original stories uh, about Alfred. I love the, uh, the teams that are on it. I mean, James Tynion IV, Peter J. Tomasi, they've, they've never let me down. So <laughs> knowing that, and knowing what they can bring to this story and just 48 pages of, of celebration, you know, that's that's one of the best things about having a life that's been lived is the, uh, the celebration that comes from it that others get to share, enjoy, participate. Yeah, uh, a true gift and uh, one I'm looking forward to. Steve, I can only imagine your thoughts, my friend. I just remember reading Batman 77 and stopping dead in my tracks thinking hang on did i just see that because there was no press for all there was no speculation it came totally out of the blue and then no one talked about it unless you'd read that issue um things in the dc universe just carried on as normal as if like hang on did that actually just happen did bane just step over and break Alfred's neck. And I thought, no, this can't be. This is a part of uh, Bruce's nightmares. This isn't real. And only in the last couple of months um, have I seen in detective comics and other issues involving Batman and Alfred, this story takes place before the events in Batman 77. And I'm thinking, holy crap, this is real. And then this book was announced, and the list of stellar talents behind it Yes, this is real. Um, Batman 83 is out on Wednesday. Obviously, I've read our preview copies uh, for reviews. Uh, have you guys read Batman 83 yet? Oh, I have not. Oh. Um, I think that's going to be on your spinner rack list uh, next week, Seth. Because, uh, wow. Um, Bruce... Uh, is faced with with uh, what what Bane did, and uh, it's very very real. So um, this book, like I said, yeah, Seth, definitely on my pull list. Um, I'm hoping this isn't the first time Alfred's died. Um, I'm hoping this is a great way of retelling the story of the outsider for a 21st century audience. Um, because with the resurgence of, of the brilliant Pennyworth TV show with Andy Serkis' casting, this cannot be the last we've seen of Alfred. They never really die, or at least that's what I'm praying, because damn, I love that character. Um, 
Oof, I'm getting a bit emotional. Um, Brad, I'll pass it on to you. Uh, you know, yeah, I think that it's safe to say that we will see Alfred again at some point. Um, so that's that's good. Um, but in the meantime, those writers and the people that are behind this book, it's going to be great. And I think it's going to be fascinating uh, to see how they treat, you know, how they react or how they treat the idea of Bruce Wayne and how he's going to react to losing Alfred. Uh, that's got to be the biggest loss since, uh, you know, since his parents. So that's going to be absolutely fascinating to see. So for sure, absolutely. Moving on to the in the comic book news category here, we have some information on some new Suicide Squad characters and the new lineup. Seth, what do you think of this? Well, we've been talking about this, uh, you know, this new run that was coming and how we shouldn't get close to anybody. <laughs> and you and I were trying to hash out just how that might play. And I know we had some fun ideas. Um, and the, the possibilities of, of how the combinations might be sort of in a constant state of rotation and, and who might be sticking around for, for more than one issue. I love that, uh, Tom Taylor, you know, again, reiterates the idea of like, yeah, uh, most of them might not even make it through the first issue. So, you know, heads up on that. And then this little tweet reference that they had about how, uh, you know, I already missed some of them. Um, so I got a kick out of that. It, it's a really interesting list. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to see it, the Airy, Chaos Kitten, Deadly Six, Scale and Finn, Jog, Locke, Osita, Thylacine, TNT, Wink. Uh, some of them I knew just right off the name. Others, I, I thought to myself, I know the name, but I can't picture the character. And a few of them I was like, I'm seriously going to have to look this stuff up later and figure out who this person is and, and how I know them. So I love that there's this great mix of characters that I know, characters I've heard of, and characters I don't have really any great sense of. And because of that, my my level of interest my level of curiosity is going to be peaked for all the things that i know and i'm looking forward to seeing and all the things that i don't know as much about that i can learn about beforehand and that maybe through the storytelling can also introduce some ideas that'll you know find me afterwards looking up a little bit more about what i didn't know or you know wanting to understand what it is about this character that and I love this when they do it. A great writer has looked at and said, you know, nobody talks about these parts. Why not? It's a great story. And then they make it a great story. So I'm really intrigued by all these great combinations. I mean, you, you love the idea that you got a couple of mainstays like Harley and, uh, and Deadshot. But what it's going to mean for this rotating cast and how it's going to impact them, especially as the ones who seem to maybe have a little bit more staying power. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And like I said, there's this great mix of knowns, kind of knowns, and man, who? That that really makes for a lot of fun for me. Steve, what's your take, my friend? That ongoing joke with the Suicide Squad is, yeah, but 
none of them ever die. And until the recent amazing run by Rob Williams, where he did manage to kill off a few of the main characters, but because this is comics, he had to find a way of bringing them back, but he did it in the best, most creative, most entertaining ways possible. So when his run ended after he left, I thought, kudos dc that was a good call because his run was stellar one of the best runs of suicide squad since the the early days with, with the original rick flag crew and, and and bronze tiger and everything else so um when they announced that tom taylor would be writing suicide squad and giving us a whole bunch of characters that were a virtual unknowns or created specifically so that he could kill them off. I thought this is genius. We're going to get a suicide squad. That is just that he's going to make us fall in love with characters and he's going to kill them in the most grotesquely unimaginable ways possible. I mean, have you guys read his injustice stories? Have you guys read deceased This is a dude who knows how to give you an original, yet entertaining, hilarious and heartbreaking death to any character you've ever imagined. Suicide Squad was made for Tom Taylor to write. Absolutely. What's troubling me is I'm looking at these character designs and I think they're all so goddamn cool that I don't want any of these guys to die. So I'm already invested. I already like the characters, and now I'm just going to be counting the seconds till one of them pops his clogs on a page right in front of me and pulls my guts out. Thanks, Tom. Good job. Brad, what did you make of it? Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Tom Taylor and Injustice because I, I think that Injustice is easily the best video game adaption ever, <laughs> ever written. So I think he did such a great job with that. Um, and yeah, it, it makes me curious and excited about what he's going to do with the suicide, suicide squad. And I do, I like these character designs and are what I wasn't sure about, maybe you guys can help me out with this. If these are characters that are just introduced for this, or are these characters that have been seen before? Because personally, I didn't recognize any of them or weren't familiar with any of them so that I wasn't sure. Um, mostly brand new. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what Tom Taylor does with this. And I, and I do. I like the designs. So, yeah, it should be interesting. For sure. And our last bit of comic book news is uh, that we are getting a DC comic for Valentine's Day called Crimes of Passion with uh, kind of like an anthology uh, book with lots of stories in it. Uh, Seth? What was your take on this? I love this sort of, you know, thematic approach to, okay, so what happens when there's, you know, love and intrigue set in this, what it feels like, I don't know, almost like a noir sort of take this crimes of passion. Um, I almost feel like there should be a musical track that goes with it, kind of like Chicago Something like that, you know, where it's like, yeah, everybody's in here and nobody did it. And everybody's got a sad song. And here's how we're going to sing it. And then it just rolls into, you know, just some great musical number where everybody's got a story about, you know, what happened to them or why they are who they are. Um, 
I really think that it's a lot of fun that that they're setting it up this way. I I feel like there's going to be uh, <laughs> some some neat things going on. I mean, I love this introduction that they have. You know, yeah, the name the name Slam Bradley, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you this uh, this uh, Valentine's Day story. And uh, when it comes to this Valentine's Day story. Let me go ahead and just, you know, tell you. It's not what you think it is, but then it is what you think it is. And you know what I mean? There's just a there's that feel to it. And it's the noir, it's that that sense of you can you can tell a story and when you add a lens or a filter, you can do so much more than you might have originally. And you can also take advantage of what's come before. And reference that in some really delightful ways. So really, my 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 take on it is what a great chance to see through the eyes of a private investigator. A different take on these crimes of passion, what it means. And and I go back to that great thing from Usual Suspects where, uh, you know, you've basically got a character confronting someone else and challenging the fact that it's the thinking that that brings about the result and it's that moment when kaiser soze is like what happens when a police officer arrests somebody he doesn't look for all these different things he figures out the most likely possibility and then he figures out the way that that actually happened and there's your case it's solved because he's only looking for it to end one way and through the eyes of a pi you're going to get this take that usually this is how things go and that's what the expectation is and casting characters in that sort of light. I mean, it's just a really fun experiment. Should be a, a great little sort of lead-in for Valentine's Day. And should be a lot of fun. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how it, it plays out. But for me, the setup has a lot of promise to its premise. How about you, Mr. Steve? This year's Valentine's special was great. And if there's one thing DC does do brilliantly, it's a one-off anthology book. Whether it's uh, the the recent Halloween one, whether it's the fantastic way they collect stories old and new in the 100-page giants, um, I cannot wait to read this. Slam Bradley is one of my favourite Detective Comics characters after Batman himself, and that cover with Batman walking in to see uh, Selina um, in an embrace with Nightwing is just priceless um anytime you get a one shot that collects a bunch of talents like this telling different imaginative funny scary detectivey stories all under one cover yeah sign me up i'm in i'm invested i will buy this book guaranteed dc romance who'd have thunk it the dibneys are back in every way shape and form even if it's in the shape of batman catching catwoman with Nightwing. Naughty, naughty Nightwing. Brad, what do you make of all this? You know, there's that meme that's been around for a while where uh, I think it was Christian Bale's Batman has his mouth open really wide and is looking absolutely horrified. (laughs) And when I saw that that cover, that's just the first thing that just popped into my head is is that meme. And I think that that would that would fit perfectly. And yeah, I I think that, yeah, I think this book's going to be a lot of fun. I think that um, I think, Steve, that you're right, that they can really do those one off 
anthology books really well. And the giant books have been a huge success for them. And I think that this something like this will just con- continue that. And I think the stories are going to be going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this one, too. Um, yeah, for sure. All right. And that wraps up yet another uh, episode of DC Comics News podcast. Thank you, uh, Seth and Steve, for your wonderful insight into all these stories. Uh, and before we uh, we sign off, uh, Seth, where can people find you? Where can they find me? Uh, you can find me writing reviews and any content they really ask me to, and I can get on there at DC Comics News. Right now, I've been reviewing uh, Lucifer, um, really been enjoying that. And you can also catch me on the uh, podcast network uh, where I do a weekly, uh, The Spinner Rack, my top five picks from DC Comics. But if you're looking for me outside of DC Comics, DC Comics News, go ahead and look for me on Twitter. I'm the number one more singleton. And say hey. And Steve, where can they find you, my friend? You can uh, read my deluded ramblings all across uh, DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, where I review a ton of books and uh, the Batwoman TV show. And I've recently uh, finished up a whole batch of interviews from this year's London MCM Comic Con. I spoke to the amazing Gary Frank, uh, Mark Buckingham artist on Fables and many others, and the cast and showrunner of Pennyworth, Bruno Heller, Paloma Faith, Ben Aldridge, and Alfred himself, Jack Bannon. Catch those across DC Comics News and Dark Knight News. The easiest way to read all of that stuff is just by simply doing a Google search for Steve J. Ray. And again, outside of that, follow me on Twitter at lstevo at el underscore s-t-e-e-v-o or on the website I run with my son Fantastic Universes. Brad, where can the world and his mother see all your wonderful work? Uh, You can find me on DC Comics News, writing news and reviews. I'm currently reviewing uh, the Watchmen series on uh, HBO. So you can find me there. You can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. That's F-I-L-I-C-K-Y-B and the number one. And as far as DC Comics News is concerned, uh, we are all we are now on all the major podcast platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So head over, listen, subscribe, uh, rate and review. Let us know what you think. And you can follow us on social media. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube at DC Comics News. So that's at capital D, capital C, capital C, O M I C S, capital N E W S. And be sure to check out the Spinner Rack and I Am the Night right here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. So have a good week, everybody. And as always, read more comics bigger Bigger. (laughs) thanks everyone (laughs) bye-bye